This morning our scripture reading comes from John chapter 6 verses 15 through 21. If you'd like to follow along in the pew Bibles that are back on the back of the pews, uh, that starts on page 944. Again, that's 944 in the pew Bibles. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. In just a few moments, we'll get into our study about the King, Jesus Christ, and we will look at Him walking on water, which is an amazing feat. We want to encourage all of you to stay for a Bible class. We have 13 adult Bible classes, and right now they are studying Jesus as the King out of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's a tremendous study to study the Gospel of Matthew looking at Jesus the King. And, and we hope that you'll join in those Bible classes so that we can grow in knowledge and also grow in the opportunity to get to know each other better. Here we are, the time of the year in America that uh, we look at the week of Thanksgiving. As, as Christians, we recognize that we must be grateful people at all times. But it is a wonderful time to pause and to count our blessings. And so if you've not began making your list of 100 things, we would invite you to do that. The gratitude is a good exercise. You could start today listing 20 things, and by Thursday... Repeat each day listing 20 things, but don't repeat anything on your list. And it really is a good exercise to think of a hundred things of which you're grateful. You might choose to share that list around your Thanksgiving table, but even if you don't do that, I want to encourage you to take the time to list some things. It really is good for us to be grateful. We can't be right with God if we're not willing to be grateful. Kingdom Living. A Bible class teacher was teaching the little ones and, and she was emphasizing how powerful earthly kings were so that then she could build up to have them understand God was even more powerful. And so she talked about earthly kings and then she said, is there anything more powerful than a king? To which a little boy quickly said, aces? Now, when you think about the power of kings, it is interesting to think about the influence that some people do have on this earth. Richard Petty's considered the king of racing among some, although other fans would debate that. Some would say George Strait is the king of country music. Or Thomas Barack Jr. is the king of real estate, owning a portfolio of over $25 billion just in real estate. Or many would say of basketball, LeBron is the king of it. Most would agree that Elvis was the king of rock and roll. 
or still the king of Sweden, is Carl Gustav, and has been since the 70s. And just in case you're wondering, there's even a king of burgers. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that you can find a king for almost everything in the world? Pause and think about that for a moment. That's why Jesus wouldn't allow others to just go around and crown him king of just anything. Jesus was and is a king. But if you want to make him king of just everything, he won't allow you to. You see, for me to declare that Jesus is king is not for me to define it. In wisdom, I need to make sure that he has defined it and I have submitted to his kingdom. Will you look with me in John, the sixth chapter? I'd like for us to see how this begins in John 6 and 15. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now, what has just happened that he is about to be taken by force and crowned a king? Well, previous in that very same day was the day that he took a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000 families from that little lunch. The people were so impressed with that meal that they gathered the next day. That's what we just read in John 6 and 15 is the next day. They gathered the next day and they were ready to make him a king. I'm sorry, what we just read was the close of that day. The next day, they come to him and he tries to set the record straight to him, with them about what he will be and what he won't be. Isn't it interesting to think that at this point in time, Jesus was the most popular figure in all of Galilee. With that power came a lot of influence. And the question is, how is Jesus going to use it? Will you look with me in this same chapter of John, I'd like for you to skip down, and as we skip down, we'll come back and cover some of the things we skipped. I'd just like you to see this, because I think it's so important to understand the chapter, the sixth chapter of John. You see, what we just skipped is that nighttime where he walked on water, and then the next day he gathers and the people find him, and he has a message for the people as they find him the next day. Look in John 6 and 26. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, in other words, this is exactly true, Most assuredly I say to you, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which is endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set a seal on him. Do you see what he's saying? He says, I'm doing these miracles so that you can see and believe that I'm Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and believing you can have eternal life. Here's the problem. I'm performing the miracle and you're never seeing the Son of God. I'm performing the miracle and you're eating the bread and you're showing up the next day because you want another physical meal. He says, don't follow me for the physical meals that will perish. Follow me for the spiritual, eternal, eternal, never perishing, the eternal life that you can have. It is in this same chapter that he says, I am the bread of life, and that is eternal life. 
If you want to get another snapshot of really how popular he was at this time, I want to invite you to turn over to Mark the 6th chapter. Mark the 6th chapter is Mark's account of this very same occasion. Mark gives more details about this time of leading in to Jesus walking on water than John chose to give. But I want you to notice the popularity of Jesus in Mark the 6th chapter. We'll pick up at verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, notice this, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Whenever he entered into villages, cities, are in the country. They laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. That's popularity. Now, not all people that are popular are powerful. That's powerful popularity. He steps off of a boat and immediately they recognize him. Immediately they run throughout the surrounding region saying, Jesus Christ is here. Immediately they begin to pick up their sick and bring them on their mats or their beds and they find Jesus and put them in his presence just so they can touch him and they will be healed. Powerful popularity. And so Jesus in essence is saying, you want to crown me the king of healing diseases? I won't be available. You want to crown me the king of a great fish meal with bread on the side? I will not be available for that. As a matter of fact, it was in that setting that Jesus literally took control of the situation. Let's go back to our text in John 6. We see at the end of John 6 and verse 15, we just read the first part of that just a moment ago, where they tried to make him king. Notice the last part of it again. He departed again into the mountain himself alone. Now drop back to Mark again, and we're going to get some more detail here that is very informative about how he took control of this situation. Notice how in 45 and 46 what Jesus did. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Pause for just a moment. In a few minutes, we're going to read about the disciples being in a terrible storm and they're going against the winds and common sense would say, why don't you just give in and why don't you go back to where you came? They were obeying Jesus. Jesus told them, get in the boat, go to the other side and even when the storm was pushing them all night long, contrary to them, they wouldn't stop rowing for the other side because they were obedient to Jesus. Apostles, why are you in that boat? Jesus made us get in this boat. What about the crowd? Look at the end of verse 45. While he sent the multitudes away. Well, it was the end of the day and the multitudes just dispersed themselves. No, they didn't. Jesus made the multitude go away. And then, as we've already read, look there in 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. I want to put two and two together here, and if your conclusion is the same as mine, we have a spiritual application we can make. It's not 
black and white, cut and dry in the scripture, but I want you to think with me for just a moment what we've just read. We read that Jesus knew that they were about to force him to be the king of physical blessings. And he wasn't going to have any part of it. Why was that a temptation? Well, do you remember at the end of this very same chapter, Jesus would demand either you start following me for the spiritual role that I fulfill as king of a spiritual kingdom, or you need to go on your way. And you remember they said in verse 60, this is a hard saying, and in John 6 and 66, the multitude, many of them turned away from him never to follow again. Now, you think about Jesus being a man as well as God in flesh, but he was a man. And you think about the temptation. You can have crowds following you and accepting you, or you can have crowds rejecting you and walking away from you. You think there was any temptation there to say, it is pretty nice to be liked. What about the 12 apostles? Why was he in such a hurry to get them out of that situation? You think of the temptation it would have been because we know already they wrestled with the concept that they thought that Jesus was going to form an earthly kingdom. And can you imagine how they would have been all excited about that? Oh, this is that earthly kingdom and, and we're going to be his right and left hand men. Here's the point I'd like for you to see and then you make application into your life. There was another storm instead of just that physical storm that was going to take place that night. There was another storm brewing right then. And it was a spiritual storm. And Jesus had enough wisdom to see that that storm was going to take them off their path. And what did Jesus do? He took control of the situation by literally walking away from the storm. I'm going to a mountain to pray. I would think that that's one of the things he was going to pray about. I'm going to send you apostles out of here. You don't need to be in this surrounding, of this spiritual storm. There's about to be a lot of confusion about why I'm on this earth, and we're not going to be here when that confusion takes place. Isn't it interesting and sad to see how oftentimes we or others walk straight forward willingly into storms, spiritual storms, and declare it to be the best day of their life. That student that's longed to be accepted finally gets the invitation to come to a party that if they would just stop and be honest with themselves, they would know there is a spiritual storm at that party that's going to be devastating. But after all, I'm getting accepted. I like to be liked. And so the, the young person literally pumps their fist and says, this is the best night of my life as they're on their way into a spiritual storm. The executive or the CPA realizes if I fudge the numbers just a little more, I can get that bonus with this quarterly report. And not only that, I can get the next promotion. And then as they fudge the numbers and they get everything set, they turn it in. They think to themselves, this is the best day of my career. My promotion is just around the corner. And they don't realize you just entered into a spiritual storm. You sold your integrity for a promotion. And we declare it the best day when actually it is a horrific storm that is destroying our soul. The man or the woman, husband or wife, that looks over at another that's not their spouse and enjoys the attentions, enjoys the flirting and takes it on, thinking this is a great day to be liked and loved and to receive acceptance. It's not a great day. 
It's a spiritual storm that is brewing. Listen. We need to come to know Jesus well enough that we can have enough wisdom to see spiritual storms and not foolishly walk right into the midst of spiritual storms. Jesus helped protect the apostles and even protect Himself. As He said, we're not staying here. We're going to dismember this association that's wanting to crown me king of bread and fish. Well, as He dismissed them, they did get into the boat, and they traveled along. And as you know, in John, the sixth chapter, in verse 16, we read about this storm. If you will, look in the 16th verse of John 6. Now, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat. You, you know why they got in the boat? Because Jesus said to get in the boat. And went over to the sea toward Capernaum, and it was already dark. And Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, and Jesus is about to show up, but let's pause there for a moment. Let's think about this. What's the setting here? This storm is going to be in the midst of darkness. Things always seem at their worst whenever we cannot see what is around us. The unknown is very difficult. That's why we love the Lord. The Lord enlightens us. The world keeps us in darkness. Storms are worse at night because we can't see. But then in this particular location, the Sea of Galilee, there are mountains on three sides of this sea. In other words, even to this day, the winds come in and they whip around the mountain and it creates some horrific storms. And so it would have white-capped the waters and it would have been a strong wind, but this would have left them in a storm at night. And one of the other Gospels tells us that it had pushed them to the middle of the sea. Now, take technology out of the picture. What happens if you're out in the middle of the sea and you've lost your navigational points? You see, they can't look up and see the stars. There's a storm. They no longer can see the shoreline. They've been pushed out into the middle. They're feeling lost. And isn't it interesting? They haven't given up. They're putting great effort in. As a matter of fact, apparently they've been rowing. And another gospel, Mark, he tells us that it's the fourth watch of the night by this time in the story. That's between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. They left at evening the night before. They've been fighting this storm. Why not turn back? Jesus said, go to the other side. How are we going to do this? We're going to keep doing what Jesus says. But this storm is difficult. It's dark. We're not even for sure where we are. And they continue rowing. Storms are difficult any way you slice them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been where your day all of a sudden became dark? And what in your past always seemed to be very clear is not so clear anymore. And what in your past seemed to be so certain is not certain anymore. And you found yourself in a darkness where you just didn't know exactly what to do with the same clarity that you knew at one point previously in your life. 
Have you ever been there when the winds changed where people you thought you could trust were disloyal to you? Have you ever been there when people you thought loved you spoke evil about you? Have you ever been there when you were the target of the gossip and the winds were blowing and the circumstances were painful? Have you been there when there's been real loss? Loss of health, loss of life, loss of finances, loss of friendships, loss of unity. Have you been there when the circumstances have swirled around and left you in a storm that is very treacherous? And it does leave us feeling lost. Where before we seem to know exactly what to do and we wake up day after day not certain of what to do. And sometimes we feel like our effort, we're rowing, we're continuing to rowing, but it just seems worthless. We give it our all. What do we need to remember? I think we need to remember the next phrase out of this scripture. Look back again at John 6 and verse 19. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Drawing near the boat, they were afraid. They thought he was a ghost, and the Gospel of Mark tells us. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. When they thought it was so bad, what do they see? They see Jesus is right there. And not only was he there, he was there what? Walking on water. That may not seem like a big deal to you right now because maybe you've studied this story for years. Maybe this was one of the stories you studied when you were in Bible class when you were little. But friends, I ask you to just pause for a moment and think about you being out in the middle of the boat and you see somebody walking on water up to your boat. I've shared it with you before, but I tell you the time that I came to appreciate this story so much. It was a time that our old auditorium was being renovated, and I didn't know exactly what was going to be done. And I knew that, that Brother Albert Ingen and Brother Don Vickers was going to be working on the baptistry area of that. I didn't know what they were doing, but what they were going to do was put a floor over the top of the baptistry because it was no longer needed in the old auditorium. I didn't know that. I walked through, through that area one day and, and, and I, just, I just look over and you talk about a double and a triple take. When I looked over, I just happened to see Albert England walk right across the top of the baptistry. <laughs> now, brethren, it is funny, but I'm telling you, at that moment, I had a renewed, I had a much greater appreciation for this story. Because, I mean, really, your first thought is, you can't do that. Your first thought is nobody can do that except Jesus. Well, unless he invites you to come out. I think highly of Brother Albert. Don't get me wrong. But even as highly as I thought about it, I still didn't think he could walk on water. Can you imagine this situation where you spend all night and it seems like it's, it's, it's a lost effort? We're never going to get out of this storm. And here comes one walking on water. And what you come to learn is that he can handle the storm. Because he can do things that men and women can't do. And to prove it, and to prove that he can help men and women do things, when Peter wants to test whether or not it is the Lord, in Matthew the 14th chapter and verse 28 is Matthew's account of it, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to see you on the water. And so he said, come. Now, do you believe at that point that Peter thought it was the Lord? Absolutely. If, if Peter didn't think it was the Lord at that point, he wouldn't have stepped out of the boat into a storm. 
And he comes out, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go down to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, I want you to notice that word boisterous, it means mighty or powerful. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Isn't it beautiful that Peter had enough faith to know that in the midst of a storm, we need to find Jesus. And even at that moment, he had enough faith to know that Jesus had power over the storm. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. Come! I recognize that voice. I really believe it's Jesus. Peter steps out of the boat. And what does he do? Exactly what Jesus was doing. He was walking on water until what? He had his eyes on the powerful Lord and he walked on water. When he took his eyes off the powerful Lord and he looked at the boisterous, which means powerful, he looked at the powerful waves. He began to sink. There's a huge spiritual message in that. And we close with verse 21 of John the 6th chapter. When they willingly received him, Jesus, into the boat... And immediately the boat was at land where they were going. The last part of that miracle. Immediately they were on the land where they were going. What did I learn today? Number one, I learned, I need to ask myself this question, do I follow Jesus only for his physical blessings? If you want to crown Jesus king of your physical blessing list, I assure you, Jesus is going to say, no thanks. I'm not going to be your king just to give you all of the physical things you want. Now, if you want more than that, he'll provide for you physically. But those aren't the most important parts. Number two, I need to learn that in this storm, Jesus was much closer to them than what they first thought. If you think because you have a storm in your life that Jesus has left you, you probably have a misconception of who Jesus really is. Number three, I've learned that most likely they were delivered from two storms that evening and night. The first one was spiritual. That could have easily gotten them off course. And the second one was physical, which no doubt they were thankful to be relieved of it too. And finally... We must not allow our faith to be defined by the storm, but by the Lord. In the midst of the storm, if you start defining the Lord by the obstacles, we've made a terrible, terrible conclusion. We look at the power of the Lord, and that is what defines our faith. This morning, what could help you get beyond the physical and see the spiritual? What about if your list of 100 things that you made over the next few days what if at least 
51 of them were spiritual blessings. Your majority were spiritual blessings. And the minority were physical blessings. Could you do it? Or would you have to honestly say, I don't follow Jesus for the spiritual, so I don't even know where to begin listing 51 spiritual reasons I'm thankful for God. We're blessed to be Americans. And I would dare say I love this country about as much as anybody in this room. And there's probably some veterans that I couldn't compete with you. But I'm just telling you, I love this country. But I'm also telling you in the same breath that the prosperity of this country is killing us spiritually. And if you serve God because you think He is so good for you physically, you're missing. You're just like those guys and those women that lined up the day after the feeding of the bread. And I assure you, Jesus is looking at you saying, why do you keep following me for the bread? Start following me for the real kingship that I am and that I have. I can give you eternal life. But I won't be the king of your fish meal. The man that walked on water can help any storm. But the storms that he helps the most is that spiritual battle with Satan. That's the storm He can lead us through every time. This morning, if we can help you take steps of faith, kind of like Peter, spiritually speaking, on water, to get closer to the Lord, to allow Him to give you eternal life. And if He chooses along the way to give you physical blessings, be thankful for those, but don't follow Him because of those. Follow Him because of the greatest blessings, the eternal life that is to come. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, so that the spiritual battle can be won, the victory can be yours because your sins have been forgiven. We'd love to help you with that. Maybe along the way you evaluate your life, you realize there's some things I need to repent of. There's some confessions I need to make and I need to ask God to forgive me of sins. We'd love to assist you with that. Let's just make sure this morning that we all leave here. And at the end of John the 6th chapter, where the ones that followed him from bread walked away from him, and the ones that followed him because he had the words of eternal life came closer to him. Let's be that last.